The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. Really, the future is now. It's very true, right? I mean, you're always accustomed to Asia leading in things like consumer electronics. Um, But by and large, when you look at sports, the leading marketplace for innovation is not Asia. That's Michael Perlman, the managing partner of Scrum Ventures and CEO of Sports Tech Tokyo, as the Asian markets continue to emerge. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Venture capitalism is thriving in the Far East in the space that we cover, and we're going to catch up with Michael Perlman about a variety of topics, bringing sports and tech to a new global platform. Plus, back home, Brad Mitchell is helping players transition to the new venture economy. He and former NFL player Marcus Ogden join us for an interesting look at what constitutes post-career success. But first, the future is now. For years and years, Nielsen controlled the market by which they determined ratings. That's for linear television, and we're in a new era now. And there are some new players in the aggregation of audiences. Sahil Patel from the Wall Street Journal is following that, and it comes through the Overwatch League. What's going on? So basically, uh, the Overwatch League has been has decided to use a metric that a lot of uh, all sports leagues, all sports leagues in the U.S. as well as uh, broadcasters use to sort of demonstrate the not only the, the reach but sort of the, the the depth of the viewership, which is this average minute audience metric, which essentially calculates the average number of people that have watched any 60 second of a of a live sports broadcast. With the Overwatch League, if you want to be seen as competitive and as a rival to traditional sports leagues, using a metric like this kind of makes it a a little bit more easier for for people to to uh, understand and accept how big this league is growing relative to some of the main, more mainstream options that are out there. And, and as far as disseminating the fact that they do have this metric, is this a play to show that they want to move the Overwatch League to other content providers, or is this a new business for them? I think it's 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 a little bit of uh, look. If, if if you can demonstrate that you know gamers and and people who would watch this league would watch the Overwatch League on television, of course they would like to do more of those media rights deals, right? I think as far as I understand it, they're already on. They already have a deal with ESPN, which means you can find them on ESPN sometimes on the ABC broadcast channel. And if you can say, hey, we're our content can be watched by a decent number of people on on linear broadcast television or cable television, that opens up more opportunities. For for them as more media rights deals come up down the road. But even the bigger option than that is simply just the work they do with advertisers, right? You have a lot of television advertisers who understand old school metrics like AMA and sort of just, you know, TV ratings. And if you can show them an audience in a way that they can easily understand and inform apples to apples comparisons with other other mainstream leagues, traditional leagues, it opens the door for potentially more ad revenue for, for Overwatch League. It's working with more clients, especially non-endemic clients that don't necessarily know as much about esports and game 
gaming as well. So in the near term and over the long term as well, it's the bigger place for advertising. But look, it's not. It also helps with any media rights deals that might come up down the road. I think this is interesting for sports overall, who are shifting in general to over-the-top mechanisms. Of course, linear is going to be around for a long time with the major leagues, but we're seeing this with colleges and we're seeing it in other places. And having a certain metric, and not by the way that Nielsen used to calculate, which was always a bit of guesswork. Um, I, I feel may change the game for rights fees in general and for subscribers and the success of OTTs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely that's definitely fair. Uh, I think again, this is this is more just if you if you want to see esports, uh, if you want to if you want to make sure esports is seen as as legitimate, as 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 worthy of consideration, as 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 a as a potential. Maybe not now. You know, obviously they're not they're not doing Super Bowl numbers or even Sunday Night Football numbers. But if if you think that at some point this is going to be something that you can say is a legitimate alternative to to a traditional sports to a mainstream traditional sport you got to use a metric like this right it, it, it simplifies things it makes it easier to do uh, certain types of transactions and, and to communicate the the health and sort of the growth of the league so in that way it's just it's a very it's a very just you know forward-thinking move by them sahil patel from the wall street journal thank you so much for joining us thank you up next michael proman ceo of sports tech tokyo on the vast globalization of sports and innovation this is the future sport podcast Our guest this week is Michael Proman, who is the managing director at Scrum Ventures, which is an early stage venture capital firm. And he is the person who oversaw the development and the execution of Sports Tech Tokyo, which is a mentor driven studio program aimed at connecting cutting edge sports technology startups and all stages of revenue generating opportunities. So you are literally doing everything we talk about in this podcast, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Brad. Most of the time we have a company that's trying to find revenue generating opportunities or we have the venture capitalists who are looking for this. You are kind of in the middle of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty unique position, I would say. And it's one that I'm, I'm kind of humbled to be leading. Um, you know, when we got started with this proposition just over a year ago, what we didn't want to create was just another accelerator. Right. The world doesn't need another sports tech accelerator. Uh, I wanted to solve real world problems and had, coming kind of from the startup world, having uh, started companies and been on management teams of others, um, there, there's no shortages of uh, problems, I would say, uh, in sports tech. So we wanted to kind of dig right in and solve some of those problems. Can you be specific yeah, about so, it? Like, what is a real world problem that you guys are trying to address? Yeah, absolutely. I think valuations are out of control. And the reason for that is that there's very little or stagnant top line growth. Um, you know, you, if you're a CEO of an early stage company, whether you're sports tech or any other tech, right, you're kind of in perpetual raise mode. And that's always good to be in. But at the same time, your business has to have a real revenue generating model uh, and there need to be fundamentals at play. Uh, and I think I was just kind of seeing the erosion of that a lot in sports tech recently with just silly valuations. And so what we wanted to create here, Bram, was a program that enabled companies to realize those opportunities at the top line so that when we wanted to come to them um, for growth capital, seed rounds, A rounds, whatever it might be, that these were real conversations 
and we weren't wasting anybody's time. So in what sectors were the valuations, in, in your opinion, inflated? Was this in the, the general marketplace, wearables, uh, that type of technology? Where were you seeing this? I, I think it's broad-based, right? I mean, we, we focus this program across three core areas of focus, one being athlete performance, one being stadium experience, and one being fan engagement. So, And then we broke those down 13 different ways, right? So it, it really didn't matter across the board we were seeing that. And I think one of the areas that we felt we could make an immediate and direct impact was, was Asia, uh, and in Japan in particular, right? So we call the program Sports Tech Tokyo. It's a little bit of a misnomer because, quite honestly, this is, is much more of a global program, and, and it's one of helping early-stage companies across the board um, find top-line solutions and, in some cases, growth capital. Uh, as you probably know, APAC in general, Japan in particular, is a completely underserved marketplace. Um, it's, why is, is really because it's a relationship-centric region, uh, and it's extremely difficult sometimes for early-stage companies, any companies for that matter, to put, get a foot in the door and, and start generating revenue in that region. So we felt that with strong partners, and we're very fortunate to have uh, Dentsu as kind of our primary and core partner in this mission, along with partners like Atochu Corporation and SoftBank and CBC and Microsoft and Sony Music, that we could actually make it a meaningful impact and a difference. Uh, so we started here in Tokyo, as you know, Rugby World Cup is currently going on in the region. Next year, the Olympic Games. Um, the next Olympic Games after that will be taking place uh, on Asian soil in Beijing on the winters of 2022. And, and there's just so much growth in that region that that's where we wanted to put a stake in the ground and say, let's be that gateway for the startup community into a region with unlimited and unquestionable growth potential. You know, what's interesting about that is, is that like in so many other sectors and not sports tech, um, Asia is known for innovation in whether it's electronics or automobiles. Yep. So that that's very strange that you're saying that they were having a hard time getting their place in the marketplace when in all these other sectors, they've been leaders in the marketplace. Yeah, you know, it's very true, right? I mean, you're always accustomed to Asia leading in things like consumer electronics. Um, but by and large, when you look at sports, the leading marketplace for innovation is not Asia. It's really been seen as, as a North American and even Western European dominated conversation. Um, when you look at kind of where sports tech startups are coming from, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have 159 companies in our community. Uh, over half of those are coming from North America. Uh, and, you know, we had hundreds of applications from around the world, and the ratio was pretty much balanced, right? It was very similar. So, it, you know, what we're now seeing right now is, is that, you know, companies are spread out. Um, and, and trying to extract revenue in certain regions uh, it has become more and more of a priority. Let's talk about esports a little bit. I know that that is a, a big priority for what you're doing, and, and clearly the the engagement around the world is just exploding. Um, can you kind of yep. take us through where you see that going over the next one to five years? Yeah, well, it's probably you know, the short answer is is up, um, <laughs> right? It's it, it's you you see you know all these tailwinds right now uh, within this space and. Just to think that five years ago, esports, um, I, I don't think, you know, 1% of the population even knew what esports was. Uh, this is such a fascinating um, growth story, right? Very rarely do you see things just kind of come into focus and then just, you know, shoot out like a rocket ship. 
we have, a, you know, we've defined esports within our fan engagement category, the three that I laid out for you. Uh, and we're getting all types of companies, right? Companies that are monetizing the engagement of uh, fans, uh, companies that are monetizing the downtime uh, of esports athletes, right? Uh, companies that are helping, quote unquote, the recovery process, right? For those athletes. So it, there's such a, a massive industry, and now you see a lot of the rights holder community, teams in particular, right, that are embracing this. And whether they have their own teams or investing in other teams, um, you know, what's, what's really ironic is, you know, about five years ago, franchise values for MLS franchises, right, were less than what you e sport franchises are today um <laughs> you know you look at look here in my backyard bram the the minnesota vikings you know just bought a, a call of duty franchise earlier this summer what they paid reportedly was much more than again some of those mls franchises were a few years ago so it just gives you a, a sense for uh where the growth is happening that's amazing um obviously analytics and biometrics are a big sector as well and I, I don't know if we're going to get into the complications of dealing with literal professional athletes because there's HIPAA laws and all sorts of things that they need to navigate with their unions and the leagues to figure out how this will be utilized who will have that information etc cetera, etc cetera. but clearly there's a huge burgeoning space amongst athletes worldwide that aren't professionals um, can you kind of talk about where that is heading right now Sure, I, I can speak to it on the athlete side, and then I think the uh, the bigger opportunity, arguably, is on the on the the fan side, the stadium experience side, right? And how biometrics uh, are really just changing the the entire fan experience. Um, you know, I think you, you, you touch on it. Let's first start from an athlete perspective, right? The the biggest things, uh, you know, in in my estimation today, and the biggest opportunities are in the categories that I call uh, recovery health, um, things where. Uh, things like hydration, things like sleep health, mental health, dietary health, looking at things that are going to make an impact off the court, off the field, off the rink, right? Um, those are all categories. And, and what I like about them is it's not just for elite athletes, right? It's, it's stuff that you and I both need too, and the general population needs. Uh, you talk about hydration, right? Uh, I mean, there's a company that we work with called Kenzen. Uh, in our, our uh, sports tech community here. And their focus, you know, isn't really even elite athletes. It's industrial workers. It's uh, the elderly, right? It's pregnant women. It's people who genuinely need this because this is a life or death issue, right? And, and so being able to take that one step further and localize it in sports, to me, that's a very compelling value proposition. And so the data and the, uh, and the analytics and the biometrics that, that we're getting back that's making a direct impact there. Um, taking it over to the fan side, uh, you know, I, I, this is kind of close and personal to me. I, I used to run business operations for a company called FanCam. Um, you may be familiar with them. They've installed high-resolution cameras in a number of stadiums and arenas around the world. Um, really, really innovative company, right? Um, you know, they take cool pictures, but the reality is they're producing a data set that is fundamentally um, going to change the way, in some cases, advertisers or brands engage with fans. So a good example of that is look at a, look at a company like Fanatics, right? Um, they could tell you right now what's the top-selling New York Knicks jersey. Um, they have all the data on that. But what they don't know is how that jersey is represented on a nightly basis at MSG, right? So if you're taking a super high-resolution picture, and not just one but multiple pictures over the course of a game, and you can tell me 
kind of, okay, what is that top jersey tonight? Is it the home? Is it the away jersey? Um, how does that break down at a demographic level, right? So millennial females, what is the top jersey amongst their preferences? So imagine a fundamentally new data set now coming into play and then, then being able to leverage that data set for SEO purposes and being able to deliver the ad unit that is most relevant and applicable to that user. So that, that's really exciting um, stuff. But as you said, you know, there's a big cloud of, of privacy going on right yeah. now. Uh, and so you have to be able to respect that. Um, you have to be able to anonymize that data. And so I think that the difference here is really between facial recognition or facial detection, right? Detection to me is anonymized. It, it, it doesn't matter who, if this is Bram or if this is Mike, right? It's just, this is a person. Uh, and to me, that data point is just as rich as actually identifying who that person is. Let me get to one other sector with you. Um, it's near and dear to me because it's the media field. Um, and sure. you are describing this as one that is a top technology spot for investment. And, you know, my overview of watching it, having been in it, you know, literally in it for a long time, is there's a lot of people that see openings and opportunity, um, but they are still going up against giant monoliths as they try to navigate into the new digital world. Um, where do you see the proper place to invest in media properties? Yeah, there, there's so many different entry points right now, right? I mean, you look at like uh, The Athletic, you look at kind of what's happening on that side of the, the equation. Uh, you look in broadcast, you look at some of the overlays, whether it be there are a couple companies in our cohort, right, that, that do um, essentially uh, virtualizing the whole broadcast experience. So instead of it being your favorite announcer, uh, you know, or if it's Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, right, uh, maybe it's, it's Bram and, and Mike doing uh, Sunday Night Football this week. Right? Ah, we, wish. So really, <laughs> we wish. <laughs> we wish. We oh, wish. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I can dream, okay? Right. Don't, don't, don't take away my dreams. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, but, but really trying to personalize the viewing experience, um, understanding where that's going. Uh, how does that have an impact on cost structure? As you know, some of the, the rights right now that these networks are buying into are out of control. Um, and, and you can either decide, like, I'm just going to, you know, do it <laughs> and, and bite the bullet or I'm going to actually try to run a fundamental business here and, and try to, to innovate as a way to, to bring my cost structure down. Um, so things like Spalk and Sportcaster, as I mentioned before, they're helping um, those broadcasters in, in, in numerous ways. Uh, there are companies out there right now that are looking to overlay the broadcast with various data uh, points. So another company we work with called Edison AI, they're out of India, right? Um, they were just going through the Techstars program now, the Comcast Accelerator uh, in Philadelphia. And they offer, imagine like MTV pop-up video for sports, right? They're providing real-time data and information uh, as an overlay uh, in broadcast. So there's just so much going on right now in this space, right? And, and I haven't even touched on any of the OTT uh, <laughs> kind of platforms um, all of the content uh, features, social or otherwise, uh, you could spend a lifetime um, in sports tech, specifically in media, and still be scratching the surface. Um, let's talk about um, World Demo Day, which is an event that's coming up for you guys. Um, what is it about? Yeah, so 
you know, when we started this journey last year, and, and quite honestly, this time last year, if we were having this discussion, we wouldn't be discussing anything because this was a blank canvas, literally. Uh, we've essentially built a brand in just over 14, or not even 14 months, in about 10 months now, um, since inception. And, and, and it's been really rewarding because, again, what we wanted to do here was not replicate the accelerator model. In some cases, uh, you could call this the uh, contrarian uh, approach, if nothing else, right? So when you think accelerator, Bram, you probably think super early stage companies, right? Pre-revenue or early seed stage companies. Um, you probably think about relocating for a set period of time to a particular market. Um, and you, you probably think about it and saying, well, now I also have to, to, to give up equity, right? Um, and, and so we took all three of those things kind of off the table, which is very unique. Um, and, and some people kind of question, what is it you're really doing here? Well, when you take equity off the table, let's start there. What ends up happening is uh, this cohort, the, 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 the interested parties become very stage agnostic, right? Because if you're a A or B stage company, chances are you don't want to give up any equity. Um, but you know what? If I'm now telling you a narrative that says I want to give you direct and kind of unfiltered access to real-world opportunities in a region that's highly relevant and growing, you're going to probably say yes, especially if there's no you know, downside. And so that's how we were able to engage with mid- and later-stage companies in this. Um, this was not about relocating to Tokyo, um, right? We, we brought companies uh, to the region, right, for what we call the kickoff event earlier this year. Um, but this was really about curating uh, meetings and experiences for them that were going to impact their business uh, and then be able to provide support throughout this last six months in a more virtual way, right? I'm okay being an arrow uh, in somebody's quiver. I don't need to be the quiver itself. And I think that was kind of the mantra uh, for us. So coming out of that Tokyo kickoff that I described, we identified uh, about a dozen companies that um, we felt and our partners, uh, some of the brands I mentioned pr previously felt um, we're well aligned to some of the opportunities and, and arguably some pain points in the marketplace. Uh, and then those 12 companies were, were known as kind of program finalists. Now, we supported an, uh, 147 other companies, right? We had 159 total. Um, and, and what was most gratifying about that was seeing the progress and development of each one of those. Uh, we built a mentor community of over 100, uh, I would say, kind of thought leaders across sports and entertainment and, and the investment community. So we really wanted to surround these companies, um, such a diverse cohort of companies with a very diverse mentor team. Uh, this all kind of culminated, as you mentioned, in World Demo Day, right? So typically when you think Demo Day, you think, okay, great, we're gonna hear you know, five, 10 minute presentations from each of these finalists. Um, the reality here was these were short, succinct presentations, but really in the, in the context of a much broader day. I think, uh, you know, it was an eight-hour day. It was at Oracle Park last month. It was fabulous. We had three, 400 people there. Um, and the, 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 the really the thematic of the day was really about celebrating sports tech and innovation on a global scale. I mean, we had 23 different countries represented by our uh, cohort companies. We had uh, just a, a, a sizable of, uh, you know, almost disproportional number of people coming from Japan, whether it be our corporate partners, whether it be media, otherwise. Um, so this was really uh, kind of, again, that celebration of the cohort itself. 
It's all really cool. Michael Perlman is the managing director at Scrum Ventures and is overseeing the development of Sports Tech Tokyo. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Up next, a former member of the George H.W. Bush administration is helping current players learn to succeed in tech and business post their playing career. This is the Future Sports Podcast. So let's take a minute here to thank our friends at 3Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers, but that's not all. They've helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups like Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. But they're also experts in user experience, cloud APIs, and artificial intelligence. So if you're looking for a dev partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen. At Advance, you will. That's the number 3advance.com. And tell them Future Sport sent you. Our guests this week are Brad Mitchell, founder and board chairman of NAPSA, the National Athletic and Professional Success Academy, and one of its success stories, former NFL player Marcus Ogden. The name of the organization speaks for itself, so it's nice to have you both here. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks so much, Bram, for uh, taking the time to talk with us today. Appreciate it, man. Uh, Brad, let's start with you. What are the goals of NAPSA? It's really to reveal hidden competencies that former NFL players have skills and knowledge that they don't even know they have and apply that in the next phase of their life, whatever that career is that they move into, they transition to from playing in the NFL. So it's, it's not so much really teaching uh, anything new or, or teaching business competencies, if you will, from a traditional business perspective. Rather, we're revealing existing business competencies from a football perspective. So it, it's really just to unleash this massive human potential that former athletes, former NFL players have to their next challenge. That, that's what NAPS is about. Can you give kind of an example of what you mean by that? Sure. So, for instance, most NFL players began playing football at the age of five, the age of 10, and they had basically a lifetime of practice, preparation, and performance. So what we as sort of fans see on the field is sort of the end product of all the work that goes into that kind of behind the scenes, the film study, the identifying schemes, recognizing down and distance tendencies, pre-snap reads, all these kinds of things that, that are common competencies that are developed in football, and we help translate those to business competencies, things that, that we work with every day in the business world, Bram, like pattern recognition, scenario planning, competitive intelligence and assessment, situational awareness, sense-making. Those things that, that the players have learned how to do, they just didn't realize 
they were learning how to do it. Marcus, I, I assume this, uh, clearly you're working with this organization. This resonates with you. Can, can you kind of discuss how you see that pattern and line of thinking from the viewpoint of the athlete? Well, like, like, like Brad said, as an athlete, you have been trained your whole life on how to play football from film study to technique to getting that edge on your competition to trying to win the game. It's the same thing, brand in corporate America. You're always analyzing the competition, like Brad just said, situational awareness and analysis. You're always trying to figure out what's the pattern of people you're trying to work with, pattern recognition. There's so many overlapping correlations between sports and corporate America. But where the athlete struggles, and where I can tell you from my standpoint, I struggled before I got with Brad and NASA. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that looking at film study is pattern recognition basically, you know, on the same level in corporate America. I didn't understand that analyzing a playbook full of your competition was just like competitive analysis and looking at who you're trying to work against or trying to get that client to work with you. So as a keynote speaker like I'm doing today, brand executive coach, trainer, a lot of things that I've learned from NAPSA has helped me drastically in my career after uh, the NFL and after life after football. So from the athlete standpoint, it's a great way to get the knowledge broken down in a simplistic way we can understand that we've been trained our whole lives to understand and then take it back to corporate America brand and have uh, great success. You know, we've talked to a lot of athletes. More and more and more they're getting involved in a number of different things and investment in startups and all of that seems to be something that is, that is of great interest to a number of the players out there. And, and I know, it, as I read in your background, Marcus, that you were entrepreneurial while you were playing. You had ups and downs with, with the businesses that you were in. How did this kind of help you as you exited playing professional football? Well, Brand, what it did for me is it made me realize that just because football was over doesn't mean that my life is over. And you're so correct. I, was, I got an email thread from Ryan Neese, who was a former player with the Bucks. Uh, he's the son of Ronnie Lott. And he was welcoming Austin Hillemeyer into the group that we were doing some things with. And it's just amazing to see guys like Ryan, guys like Austin, like you said, that are doing great things things after football but we need to see more of that we need to see guys like ryan like austin all these guys are doing great we need to see more of that because i think it gives players that hope that if they're struggling after the game is over which is totally natural that there is life after and that's what napsa is all about bram it gives you that confidence it gives you that boost that your skill set from football can be beneficial and they can be monetized in the corporate America space. Brad, for you, is part of this, and you had mentioned for anyone who's who got to this level, all of their focus and attention was likely on this track as they ended up making it Correct. to the NFL, which is unusual. Um, are, are you trying to help them see where their other interests lie or allow that to manifest in a natural way? Yes, that's, that's exactly right, because no matter what they want to do next, whether it's corporate America, entrepreneurship, startup, uh, teaching, a lot, a lot of guys go into teaching and coaching and, and those kinds of things. So 
so it, it's helping create that awareness and reframing their experience in a different way. And the, the, and I just love working with this group of people. And, it, and it's been so interesting because when we first sort of came up with the idea, we really thought it would be kind of targeted at guys just out of the league. Maybe, you know, the average career of obviously in the NFL is, is, is about three years now. So 27 year olds, 28, 30 year olds. But what we found doing this, the, the age range, we've worked with people from age 24 to 51. So a huge age range, and we've worked with practice squad guys to 10, 12-year veteran pro bowlers. So it's, it all depends on where that particular player is. And, and the innovative program that we built, the, the platform that we built, meets the player where they are. That's, that's really critical um, because they, they all come from you know, different places. They've had different experiences. And it's, it's kind of creating that, that awareness of what is possible. It's, it's very much an inside-out approach. It's not a, quote-unquote, business school approach. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a big, big part of it, Bram, just, just like you said. Uh, and Marcus, for you, and if you could go back to your playing days, and clearly you went into business while you were doing this. So you saw the end of the line and there was going to be life after football. You had to figure out what you, you wanted to do. Is that commonplace? Do you know what you want to do? Do you need something competitive about the thing that you're going to enter into when you're done playing? Like, what are the factors that get you interested in what you want to do? Well, honestly, Brand, you don't see a lot of that from guys that are playing because you're so laser focused on your career. But where I was different was I had a brother who was ahead of me who was in the Hall of Fame, who taught me a lot. Then we had a father who raised us as a single parent who talked about education and life after sports. So I, what, was, what was different about my situation was I had that, you know, that raising in the home from birth about that. Now, when I was, while I was playing, of course, I had my brother to give me some advice, things like that. But the CBA didn't form these types of things until after 2013, to give guys that real opportunity. And you're seeing it more today. In my day, it wasn't very often players were looking at it. Now, in today's era, guys are seeing more opportunity beyond the game because there's more resources. But again, it all depends on the player's real desire to get that education, to get that knowledge. Like, we all, we all have a coach. Like, Brad is my coach. NASA has coached me. I've learned from things. I had a coach in football. Anyone that understands the importance of getting this education and having a thing like, this is what makes NASA so great. There's nothing out there like this that can give these guys, like you said, that can meet them where they are. And that is the key. When you can meet a player, Bram, where they are, the likelihood of them engaging you goes through the roof. If you try to give them a cookie-cutter program, that basically is going to have a bunch of people come in and that they're not going to meet at the same level, that's when you don't have that player really getting engaged. So that's why I really love what NASA's about. They meet the player where they are and then build from there. So, again, Bram, today you're seeing more guys thinking about life after football because there's just more things out there and available for them 
to get their hands on. Uh, and you're, the brother you're referring to, of course, is Jonathan Ogden, who was the great Ravens tackle, uh, who had a fantastic career and ended up in the Hall of Fame. Um, Brad, I want to um, I want to talk about your background here for for a moment. Um, you helped generate revenue at AccuWeather, right? And you, you served under George H. W. Bush um, as part of the transition Correct. team at Science and Tech. I mean, that, that's a really that's a really interesting background to be doing what you're doing now. So, how did you get here? Yeah, it's great question. I've had a very nonlinear career, Bram, and, and done a lot of different things with different types of people and, and always working with great people. I mean, for George H.W. Bush, worked on his uh, 41, President 41, worked on his White House staff. And, and this really brought me, all of that experience, sort of diverse experience, brought me to this place because what, what I've been about, what, what, what gets me excited in the morning is, is helping people realize their full potential, whatever that may be. And my, my perspective looking at football when I, when I started thinking about it and kind of my academic background in, in engineering and business and government and public policy and science and technology, it was like, okay, these guys, everybody wants elite performers. And former NFL players, former elite athletes generally – are elite performers by definition. If you do not perform, you are not there, right? So the people that we worked with in this through NAPSA, the NAPSA intensive experience, they're they're just so uh, high achieving, high potential people. They've got the character traits, they've got the competitiveness, the resilience, the goal orientation, the the coachability really. So it's working with elite performers, and that's and that's what I like to do. And if we can marry those character traits that I just sort of talked about with their understanding of competencies, skills, and knowledge um, that I've an opportunity to see in a variety of different uh, venues over the course of my career, wow, what a powerful combination that is uh, for our society, for the economy, for that individual. Uh, it's just an exciting group to work with. And the other big, big thing that just sort of blew my, blew away my kind of expectations, sort of putting this together, was these guys have learned how to learn. I mean, when you need to come in and learn a new offensive system, say with a new coach, or you need to learn a new game plan for 16 or 17 weeks successively, it's, it's an incredible, uh, uh, you know, achievement, just to be able to learn to, to do that and then perform it at such a high level, you know, week to week. So it's, it's been the most rewarding uh, part of my career. And, and I've had some rewarding parts of my career, frankly, with, with working with different people. But, but this group of folks, is just people like Marcus and Michael Robinson, who was my original thought partner on this. Uh, it's, it's just been it's just been terrific. Uh, Brad Mitchell is the founder and board member, and Marcus Ogden is a member of the National Athletic and Professional Success Academy. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks so much, Bram. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. That will do it for us this week. Remember, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.
The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.